day we hustle in a pilots and pictures podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything ado with first episodes of a filmic series. Join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the British dark comedy drama The End of the Fucking World, or End of the Effing World, depending where you're reading it, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. Petards is a word, usually a small bomb or explosive device used to take down a door. It is non-discriminatory. If you're new to our show, you can go to our website, pilotsandpetards.com, and you can find information about our show. We do have some sections that we coined ourselves. For our faithful listeners, Mo is on vacation, and the reason this, this episode is posting so late is because we had a huge audio mix-up, and so this is actually the second time we are recording. I sounded nice. It was good. There was good stuff. We're back. We're back in the studio for you. And one more announcement. We have a new feature to our podcast. Remember, this is the podcast you want to see in the world where we do listen to our listeners. Due to listener feedback, we are going to announce our shows ahead of time, the pilots that we will be viewing, and we're going to give our listeners an opportunity to watch that pilot and share their comments on our website. So go to our website, follow our blog, and you will get the post each week about the new episode and when we are going to record and how much time you have to watch and give us your feedback. The more thoughtful your comment, the better chance it has making it into a future episode. Listeners, we have a guest joining us today, taking in Mo's spot, and it is Jake Drew. Jake, who are you, Jake? Who who is this third co-hoister? We did not. I am Jimbo's that. nephew and a uh, a rapper of some sorts. Awesome. And Jake, you you chose the show. Why'd you choose it? Uh, I chose it because I was hooked as soon as I started watching it. Now that this is our second our second mix up. I actually have completed the series, but before, I hadn't seen it at all. For a 60-second summary. So our protagonist, James, thinks he is a psychopath because he doesn't understand jokes, and he kills animals for a hobby. Our other protagonist, Alyssa, is fed up with life and people, so she reaches out to James, hoping to escape and hoping to capture some freedom. The two start dating because James wants to kill Alyssa, and Alyssa wants to run away. The show ends with the two new star-crossed lovers stealing James's dad's car and running away, and James accomplishes a lifelong goal of punching his father in the face. And unless I missed anything, we are going to move on to our high points. And we're going to let Jake start off our high points as our guest. We're going to be polite. As I said before, um, this entire episode was one long high point. But uh, I think the I watched it a third time, actually. And I think still after that third time, my favorite thing about it was the way it was filmed as far as shots and uh, angles and lighting and everything. It was filmed really artsy, which I'm a huge fan of. So I'm going to have to I'm going to have to keep that as my number one high point. It's a technical term, artsy. You know, it's used in the biz. But uh, I agree. I agree with you, Jake. I think that there's a lot of intentional storytelling using um, different shots using some quick cuts too. And then also I think that there's a lot more camera play, I guess you might call it when it's the internal dialogue. So when the, uh, protagonists are like telling their story from their point of view, 
the way that they're shot, it just feels so natural that we're hearing their thoughts. You're not like thinking, why am I just hearing these random things being said? Nobody's mouth is moving. Right. It's just, it's understood. And that is, I think, a testament to what you're saying, the cinematography. For sure. And what they picked. Yeah, in the in the cutscenes alone. Because I feel like the cutscenes tell a story of their own in a way, which is which is awesome. Going off that cinematography, the very opening scene when James is introducing himself and he says, I'm James. I'm 17. And I'm pretty sure I'm a psychopath. He's just walking down the street and he's got this this mad dog face. He looks like such like like he thinks he's just such a badass. And that and that opening scene just caught me. That that attention grabber just was so solid for me. Just that very that first few seconds. And then from there, I mean the show just really builds on that. But but I was super in into that show in the first few seconds. And it was because of that cinematography, that slow walk that he's doing, and he's just kinda lo- looking around like, fuck you guys. Jimbo, you are a fan of hot starts. You know, it's gotta start, it's gotta be like in your face right away, you know, just like telling that story right off the bat. You do not like the slow burn. No, I don't. And you know what? I'm not that hard to please. You know, just get me in. And I'm usually not that, you know, I, I, I can stick around through some stuff. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm the same way, though, too. There's plenty of shows where I've given up in the first 15, 20 minutes if the pace is slow, you know? I can't remember what uh, book or article it was, but someone told me that the way they teach filmmakers to make, like, feature-length movies is you kind of have to, like, tell your story and hook your audience in the first 10 minutes. So sometimes, like, back in the day when the DVD player, like, had to play, like, how much time was going, I'd always try and, like, mentally check where the 10-minute mark is. So maybe TV shows are just, like, you know, miniature versions of that. Like, within the first three minutes, you got to, like, get in there. You have to, especially with, I mean, the attention span these days, man. Like, everything's so fast-paced. Like, we need to move at a fast pace to stay interested. What percentage of the time do you guys start watching a show and then you just, like, stop watching partway through because you're like, meh? I think that might happen to me like 70% of the time I start watching something. Yeah. That's I mean, a lot. yeah, that is a lot. I, I'd actually, I'd have to go with like 30. Normally I'm a huge fan of what I start because I'm very, I'm very picky and selective. So when I pick something, I usually have it in my head already that I'm going to like it to some extent, but there are those times I'd say probably about 30% where I just can't make it through. I would say I am also fairly, fairly picky. And I don't, I typically, as the listeners, our faithful listeners know, I don't really watch that much TV. So something has to be somewhat good for me to even give it a shot. I was going to add though, because, because we kind of started talking about it with the attention span, this show had a lot of silence. There, there really were some, some significantly long pauses, especially when, you know, James and Alyssa's dialogue. And I thought that was really good too. Like they definitely took advantage of the music and pauses and kind of silence those are nice storytelling choices too you know and i think those aren't necessarily like shots like cinematography ideas but they're definitely intentional moves by the director definitely that's what i meant from what we talked about with like attention span because there was actually a lot of pauses and a lot of silence for for a show that kind of didn't waste a lot of time at the beginning but uh jimbo did you have any other high points well like jake i would say this was one 20 minute high point. I mean, there was, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think the humor really caught me as well. James is funny. Alyssa's funny. Alyssa is extremely funny. Her command of language, especially curse words, 
is awesome, dude. I love the way she cusses, and I'm not usually a big fan of curse words. Yeah, I mean, curse I words aren't just funny. Like, you can't just yell fuck, and people will laugh unless you're very immature or young. And even then, it's more of a shock value thing. Like, being able to curse a certain way is very entertaining. And, like, one of the worst things in the world is people who think they can curse, and then they just yell loud obscenities. You know who you are, person in my personal life, who doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but um, British people especially, man, they love to curse. And it just sounds classier, you know, than if we cursed. I like British podcasts, too. They curse a lot. We have a new term, accent boners. In our last recording, Drew accused me of having an accent boner, and I stand behind when I say I do not have one. I typically, at least not for British accents, I'm typically not a huge fan of the British accent. I like more of a Latin, romantic-based language accent, personally. That's, That's what gets me a little hard. Yeah, but what was lost in the recording was Jimbo giving like three British accent boners in a row. That, that'll come back. That, that'll come Lightning back. in a bottle, Jimbo. You can't promise that. Moving on. I agree. I think the humor was very, very, very funny. And it wasn't just the humor of the characters and their dialogue, but even the humor of like some of the cuts and the shots that um, Jake was alluding to. Uh, the characters were telling a story and it was enhanced by what the director was doing with like, kind of juxtaposing stuff but not exactly but there's a lot of good cuts between something a character just said and then showing something literally different and that was funny you know and it was kind of like clever and sly right like when he when he killed the animals in that shot where it kind of uh piece by piece put all the animals he's killed in the shot i don't know what it's called but i love that shot that reminded me of that scene in that steve carroll movie um with like the idiots the movie where they invite the idiots to dinner. Oh my god, that's a really weird movie that I feel like no one else but me watched. What movie is this? I don't. Uh, I, guess I don't remember the title, but it's like it was this. It's a terrible movie. Who's, who's Steve, Steve Carell? That makes all the difference. <laughs> I got it. I got what you're saying, Jimbo. I've got used to like your foibles. I was like, I get it. I'm like Charles Barkley. You're well, actually Moe's like Charles Barkley, but but I'm a little bit like Charles Barkley when it comes to names. You know, if I if I can get one of the two names, you know, first or last name correct, doing fairly decent. Yeah, um, that's a weird, obscure movie, Jake, where rich people befriended socially awkward people, and then they brought them to a dinner mm. to see who could bring the most weirdest socially awkward person. And there were a lot of funny people in it, like Steve Carell and Zach Galifianakis, and probably people I can't remember. And the dude oh, from Reno Nine One One. It was not a funny film. Oh, yeah. The opening scene is is Steve Car- uh, Steve Carell's character. Just he has all this weird rat taxidermy, and it came off kind of like the same tone <laughs> as uh, the opening and end of the fucking world. I thought it was more like um, kind of. I hope I'm getting the right Anderson right, but like Wes Anderson, who does those quirky. I guess quirky white people movies just because I'm trying to think of a defining feature of all of them, but it's just like Bill Murray and a bunch of people, but the Royal Tannenbaums has like really funny, like little jump cuts between what people are saying and like, Oh, um, the something, something life of Steve Zissou, you know, it's another like Wes Anderson movie with some fun editing things that bring some unexpected, like just kind of like dark, weird things with like funny, upbeat music. So I think like that, that's what that edit was, which was, Funny little musical tone, but also like all of the dead animals being lined up. I liked it. That's that's one I've always been interested in watching. I never saw it though. Oh, check it out, man! It's really fun. All right, Drew, what's your high point? I would say my high point is something I've talked about before. Is like 
the the need to be shown and the need to learn, you know, not necessarily by telling, but more by showing. And this pilot does a really, really great job of doing a lot more showing than telling. I really particularly enjoyed the two perspectives of the scenes where the protagonists, where the leads meet. Um, you really understand them a lot more by seeing what they're like right before they see each other. And then you have a greater shared understanding after Alyssa kind of shows it from her point of view. Each time you watch it, you learn a little bit more about the characters, but it's more by seeing what they do rather than them just like exposition, like dumping on you, being like, hey, I'm Alyssa, I'm kind of troubled and I act out. And hey, I'm James, I'm socially awkward, but maybe there's more to me. Like they show you those things while also having them have funny interactions because you can do that. You can like trust your audience to be intelligent or somewhat intelligent and you don't have to like just piss on them Zack Snyder like fuck you Zack Snyder I'm recording this for a second time and maybe I'm just gonna say some shit Jimbo <laughs> talk your shit, man. you're giving talk me the shit. I talk too long face jump yeah, in definitely so I <laughs> completely agree though there was a great proportion of of telling and showing at the same time the way that they move in and out of the characters' heads is great. They use music. Usually there's music on in the background whenever they're inside their head. And then when James just takes his headphones off, all of a sudden the music stops. And now we know that this is this is what's really going on. And then we go into Alyssa's head and the music kind of comes back on. And music is constantly playing a role. And I think it does a, it does a really great job of adding to the telling as well. The, the lyrics are very appropriate and relevant to what's going on when, especially when Alyssa is upset because she has to help chauffeur her, her parents party. The lyrics are very, very similar to what, to what, to her internal state. And it talks about not being the clear faced girl and not being the beauty queen and all these things. And these things that Alyssa is not. And then it talks about lacking social grace. And this girl has absolutely no social grace. So I found the lyrics to be very relevant and appropriate to what was going on throughout the show. Word. I, yeah, I agree with that. I actually didn't notice uh, when you mentioned that music's playing uh, every time there uh, there's a narrative going on. I actually didn't notice that. That's cool. That makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, and I just watched it for the third time. I still didn't catch that. I'm not sure if it was every time, but but it was definitely in those first two scenes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think they just did an awesome job. With that being said, I think I think Alyssa could be hot. She may not be hot in the in the series. I think she could be though. It's her attitude. I'll tell you that much. I agree. Her attitude makes up for her lack of of your stereotypical beauty queen right. looks. She doesn't have beauty queen looks, but I but but I do think she is a very attractive girl. Right. Well, it, it's charisma, you know, you're you're describing charisma, like things that you can't put your finger on, but like you're drawn to that character, you're drawn to that actor or actress, you're like, wow, you know, like that person's going to be a star, or you can even say like, even if that person is like 16, you're gonna be like, that person's gonna be beautiful someday. But right. yeah, like this seed is there, even if it hasn't like flowered and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. weird metaphor. Yeah, you always got to take some caution when using the flower metaphor. But <laughs> listeners, you can give Drew some feedback on his usage of the kids' flower <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> oh shit! See what happens when Mo's gone. For time purposes, because we could keep going with these high points. Yes. Let's go ahead and move on <clears throat> to low points. I'm uh I'm vetoing low points for this for this episode. 
How how presumptuous of you, special guest. Let's see if we invite yes. you back. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually agree, though. I have also seen the pilot three times now. I can't find any low points. I know Drew's going to bring one up, and we'll see if I, if I still disagree or not. Sure. And again, this was like combing for a low point just because I was like, I'm on a podcast and I need to talk about something. So this low point is a technical detail, but still in there nonetheless. I think that there was a little unclear storytelling when it jumps to Alyssa's background and it talks about how her dad is gone and Tony's there. And then Tony's kind of framed as like, she even says like my dad's boyfriend. And then when it cuts to her mom having like twins, then you're kind of understand that they're married. So yeah, it's in Alyssa's character to say, not call her stepdad, her stepdad, but call her, her dad's boyfriend. Like that's a dick thing to do. And Alyssa does some and says some dick shit, which is fine. She's funny, but it was just a uh, little choppy storytelling. And so it took me back where I was like, Oh, I guess they're married. Jimbo go. I felt like it worked. I didn't see it as, as being that confusing. There's, I think that the way that the, that, that Tony comes off, He's supposed to be a dirtbag. She does talk about how her mom was with him because if she wasn't, she would have been in a abusive relationship. So I think her mom knows that she's not in the best relationship, but that it's better than 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 anything else. I think it is implied that they moved into Tony's house because this is all these new things. Like a baby is not new. Like a baby's around for like eight and a half ish to nine months. To me, I was just like, those are infants, and they're not baby babies because they're, like, crawling and doing stuff. So, I mean, if they're six months old, that means that this thing's been happening for a year. A year and a half, probably. That threw me for a second, but, you know, again, I'm I'm finding a low point so we can touch. So, if you don't want to talk about it, we can move on. <laughs> Makes sense. I, I, I kind of agree with that, actually. I mean, I think it could have been developed a little bit better, maybe, but... She could just said my new dick stepdad or like my new sleazy stepdad or something like that. It just Yeah. If that's if that's the only thing, that's that's just like a line. My my no, biggest yeah, problem sure. with this show is that one line messed with me. Yeah. I mean, we can move on. Tony's not super interesting. I think we're gonna come back to him anyway. Hi Earl. Hey Crabman. Alright, so now for our Crabman and new listeners, the Crabman is a minor role with a big impact. The Mighty Mouse of podcast segments, if you will. So I'm going to say, just just to keep the integrity of our original recording, I originally said that this show was crabless, and so I'm going to stick with that for now. Did you have a new opinion, or have you been swayed by one of your co-hoisters? I, I have been swayed, but, but let's roll with it. Jake has a nominee. I do, and uh, we actually, I mean, we tossed around a couple potential crab men last time, as I recall, but I actually just watched the pilot again tonight, and I came up with a new one, and I'm going to go with the lady on the street who had the orange hat and the glasses when they were walking home from school. I don't know if you remember. No, I don't. Alyssa points them out, and she goes, look at her. She's lived. She's, you know, she's done things. She's probably a spy. Alyssa is talking about how everyone in the town is squares, and then she says, except for that lady. Mm. She's like, she's the only person that's not boring. And she's in the clip for maybe three seconds, but I, I think she's, I think I'm going to give the Crabman Award to her because she kind of plants the seed of adventure in the show and kind of Alyssa's train of thought like, you know what? She's lived. Why am I not living? Kind of. Okay. I, I am the only one of us that has only watched the pilot once. So, (laughs) you know, that might be a tri-pi thing that you guys are enjoying over there. Yeah, yeah, Um, definitely. (laughs) I will think about it. I will continue to think about it. 
Well, this was the funniest part about that lady is is Alyssa is just completely speculating. I think she's just talking out her ass, which she does. She mm-hmm. talks a lot. James doesn't. But but she says, yeah, she she was probably a spy. She probably had like 15 abortions when you know before they were legal. Right. And so, oh, like, I do remember just, that like, line. Making up weird yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's coming back to me a bit. And probably has crabs, which would be perfect for the Crab Man nominee. Probably does have crabs if what Alyssa says is anywhere near true, which it probably isn't. Give her the benefit of the Dow Jim. Sure. <laughs> All right, so I I'm gonna I'm gonna go Jimbo style on this one and stick with my original Crab Man opinion. The true Crab Man of this uh, pilot is kind of a turning point in the pilot. I want to nominate um, James's mom and specifically that moment in that scene when James and Alyssa are sitting on the porch swing because kind of the premise or the hook of this show in like the first eight or 10 minutes is you're like, whoa, wow. Like James is a serial killer. He's a Hannibal Lecter style guy. He's a psychopath. Like, you know, that's what the show's going to be. And he says he doesn't feel things, you know, his, his hand is burned. So you're like, whoa, maybe this kid is messed up. But then when they're sitting on the porch swing and he says he hates it, you know, he lies. He lies to Alyssa and through his acting and through that one edit, we find out that, you know, he's not a psychopath. He has feelings because he's love for his mom. So I think what that scene does and what that actress does is it introduces the idea of the unreliable narrator, that now we can't trust James and what he says. So I would say that that's more with less, but the lady on the street's very amusing. Jimbo, maybe you're going to break this tie. No, I'm going to stick with James's mom. I think she does play a very important role and, and and we had talked about this last week. James comes off like a serial killer, but there's a couple clues. If you're paying attention, you will see that maybe he's not. And I think the mom is in there intentionally for that reason. It's a lot of good choices in the directing to present James in a certain way, but he is he is um, showing some some little hints of maybe not being quite quite the way he wants you to think he is. Yeah, I think that's where you guys got me last time, actually. Pretty persuasive because uh, I, I didn't really think about it a whole lot to be honest. So my vote is going for James's mom, Jake. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm probably. I think I'm gonna stick with the orange hat lady, okay. man. Yeah, just for my own personal, you know, opinion. That's fine. That's fine. It's it's noted. It's on the record. It's there. Um, I'll go with James's mom. That's our little crab man, our crab woman by split decision. James's mom. And now, a word from our sponsors. All right, listeners, especially our our Southern Oregon listeners, if you are in Jackson or Josephine County and you are in need of an engineer, wait no longer. Fitzgerald Engineering Services, President William Fitzgerald, professional licensed engineer, he is ready to do your geotechnic engineering. He he looks at the soil and, and shit. To include such such tasks as subgrade investigation, real estate inspections, or foundation certification. And if you're one of those super rich people in Southern Oregon and you need some traffic engineering at your home, he is an expert in sign, signal, and temporary traffic control design. You can leave a comment on our website and Mr. Fitzgerald will find it and contact you. If you're tired of hearing Fitzgerald Engineering Services, then contact us and you can buy out his advertisement slot. All right, welcome back, listeners. And we are going to move on 
to MVP. Welcome to MVP. Jake, go ahead and start us off with your MVP. Uh, So my MVP last time and this time is going to Alyssa. And I'm going to give it to Alyssa for the simple fact that she keeps the show rolling in a different way. So I think without her, there really wouldn't be a whole lot going on. You have James who he really has nothing to offer. He's kind of, as far as you can tell, he's doing the same thing every day. You know, he just sits quietly and, and thinks about killing probably what I can imagine. And Alyssa is the one who comes in and takes the show in a whole different direction. For that reason, I'm going to give it to Alyssa. I would agree. I would also say that Alyssa has, in my opinion, the funniest uh, scene of the episode when they're in the diner. A great big banana shit with extra fucking cherries all over the top of okay, it. sorry, that's it. Right. Marvin! Oh, yeah, go get Marvin. See if Marvin can make a banana split for me, you fucking cunt. Bye, Marvin! It seemed that Alyssa had some issues. That was really funny. And also, as a teacher, that's pretty funny, too, because, like, that waitress plays her trump card way too early. She's like, I'll call the manager. She's like, fuck you. Then what? Mm. Kids have as much power as we give them. And if they can see behind the bullshit, like, you know, they could do a lot because all we can really do is call their parents because all that waitress could really do was call the manager. And if that doesn't matter to that person or that customer, that kid, it's kind of funny when they pull back the curtain on that one. She'd have been better off giving Alyssa the banana shit she ordered, you know? Yeah, that would have taught her a real lesson. Oh, oh, yeah. Alyssa does not escalate that situation. The waitress does because the waitress could have just ignored her funny British cussing. She had to say something. She just had to. Yeah. And as a teacher that's fell for that trap too many times, (laughs) uh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Our buddy, Luis, who is a new listener, he and I like to say actions have consequences. You know, so you you didn't have to say anything, waitress. You know, you could have just taken their money. Brought it on herself. Yeah, but Alyssa is badass. I and and I and I completely agree with Jake. Without Alyssa, James makes for a pretty boring show. Without Alyssa, although I although I really like James and mm-hmm. I, and I was flirting with him and Alyssa being being my MVPs because I think they I think their tag team is just excellent and extremely well done. But if I had to choose one over the other, it's Alyssa. Man, Alyssa steals the show. Let me just say that uh, Jimbo wants to flirt with James. I did say that. <laughs> Taken out of context, it sounds... Pedoph- pedophilic? Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds worse out of yeah, context. It sounds for sure. really yeah, bad out of yeah. context. I wonder, I wonder who <laughs> the editor is. I bet you it's Jimbo. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'll, don't worry. We're going we're to cut that Jake, whole I'll, part out. I'll clean that up real nice. <laughs> Next thing you know, Jake <laughs> is saying... I love James. Uh, no, next thing I'm going to be commenting on here, telling telling everybody that you're censoring uh-huh, me. Uh-huh. It's going to happen. Jimmy yeah. Christ will believe you. I don't like being censored, Jimbo. This is one for Jimmy Christ. All right. Well, I would like Drew to give us his MVP because I think it'll transition better into mine. Sure. And we we lighted on it earlier. In I really like the internal monologue. And one of the best things this show does, and I think what pushes the internal monologue of these characters in this show and its editing outside of other shows that use this device, is sometimes the internal monologue will jump from one character to another so quickly. It's very funny. It's very clever. And, like, it just really adds layers to this 20-minute pilot that's very dense. And we did talk about this, but but there is nice transitions between them as well. And and I think those music cues just really help. 
and we we had talked about this, but also James's internal monologue is past tense and Alyssa's is present tense. And last week Drew had asked me what I thought that reason was for. And I said that I wanted to watch the rest of the season to really know. I do have a separate idea based off of the ending, but I do think it tells us more about James's character, maybe being more uh, reflective that, you know, the, the, you know, the fact that he puts things in the past and then Alyssa's just in the moment. She's, she's very much right now. Like I'm bored right now. She's spontaneous. She says shit without really thinking about it. And so that's why I think her internal monologue is present tense right there in the moment. That's an interesting way of framing it. I, I'd be very interested in us like tracking down a director's commentary or an article or an interview to see how intentional that is. Or, you know, it's, it's a graphic novel too. So maybe uh, the writer of the graphic novel had it as a specific idea. I'm actually surprised you haven't read the graphic novel yet. Have you tracked it down at all? Um, I looked. It's it's uh, not a very popular one yet. Ooh, okay. Oh, they're going to do that thing where they put the the actors on the cover because now it's famous. I hate it when they do that stuff with movies and books. And it makes me feel – I feel like I'm less – I feel like people judge me. And they're like, oh, you're reading it because it's a movie. And I'm like, I liked it before, but I got this at a used bookstore. You're a book hipster. No, I'm the exact same way. Not that I like to read anyways because I, I really don't, unfortunately. But I'm the same way. Whenever I see a book with – the uh, the people acting in the movie or TV version that's a huge turnoff for me. Yeah, no one wants to buy a book with Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt on the cover. Yeah. Oh hell, no. or Elijah Wood. You know, like, well, hold on, is is Brad Pitt shirtless? Well, what movie would that be? Not usually on the covers. Fight Club, right? Yeah, okay, that was a really fast answer. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt, Fight Club, shirtless, book cover. I'm buying it. I probably won't read it. It's a I'm really cool it. book if you have not read it. Fight Club is super interesting, and the ending is different than the movie. You know, that's that's what I've heard actually. I, I really like the movie, but I haven't read anything about it. So. All right, listeners, I'm gonna bring us back. So, Drew has a very respectable internal uh, internal monologues as an MVP, which I think does kind of transition into the execution and the directing, which is my MVP. I think whoever this director is deserves a lot of respect because all the little things that we were talking about, I think the director had a, a huge influence over, along with probably the other people that helped to make the movie and film. Yeah, the, the amount of intentional storytelling here is great. It's, it's fantastic acting by the actors but it's so understated you know like they're acting so naturally that that's a product of the environment the director creates and that the creative team creates so i think it's a credit to like the editing which we've talked about as being a strong part of the storytelling but also capturing really subtle acting because yeah like Alyssa is very verbal and very loud you know about her cursing but she's also showing a lot in those moments in between about like her emotions and where she is and for a young actress, I mean, I perceive that she's young. She looks young. She might be like 24. She's 24. I looked it up. Nice. Then, I mean, that's believable. I mean, that's still pretty young for an actress, but she does a really good job portraying the insecurity of that age. Also, the graphic novel was the original product, and then they also made a short film of the graphic novel. So whoever did direct and edit and, and rewrite, this was their third try. So... I think that plays a big part as well. And usually something stands out to me. You know, there is like a usual MVP where something is better than the rest of it. But this show did not really have that one thing that stood out over the other things. And that's why I, that's why I have to give it up to the director where usually I probably 
not going to give my MVP to a director. Good for you, end of the effing world director. Jimbo approved. Yeah, well done, <clears throat> sir or ma'am. I didn't look look you up, but you're probably a sir. So now we're just going to jump into some dangling threads of interest, things that interest us about the show, but we might go a little bit further away from the plot and the characters. It depends where the discussion takes us. It depends how far it dangles. What do you got there, uh, Jimbo? I felt the the mom and daughter dynamics was, was kind of relevant to uh, the whole Me Too movement, and Drew can def- can maybe define that Me Too movement a, l- a little better than me. So, so go ahead, Drew, for our listeners that aren't quite up on times. All right. So being the dude explaining Me Too, appreciating, we were saying, how is that related to uh, Me Too? What does that look like? And I just talked about how my understanding of the Me Too movement and even the phrase like Me Too is an acknowledgement that sexual harassment and sexual assault happens so frequently, but is underreported and is brushed aside by a lot of institutional powers and so when people say me too it's because they understand that something has happened and they have not felt like they've been in an environment to report it to someone that they trust or to someone that they thought would actually do something so when tony like molests Alyssa and like touches her back and then Alyssa turns around and her mom is there and the mom doesn't say anything you know i think it's Alyssa feeling like she doesn't feel comfortable like who does Alyssa go to to say tony's creeping on me when, like, the mom knows. And, I mean, that's a really tough thing, you know, and that's a horrible situation. So I think that would be how I would relate this show and that moment to, like, the Me Too movement because that's Alyssa also being, you know, put in a compromising position and her not feeling like she can tell people. Yeah, and because of her age being young and not having someone like her mom to show her the right example. Like even her, I'm, her mom's probably been in this situation as well. She's a woman, she's older. She, I mean, she knows how the world works. And so that just, I think, I, I think that scene kind of shows the anti me too movement. Well, yeah. The past, the patriarchy, Jake. Um, for me, I'd, I'd say I really like the way I, I like the portrayal of a sociopath. Um, that's, that's what kind of hooked me. And now I remember last time we were talking about how I related it to Dexter a little bit and, and don't get me wrong. I love Dexter. It's one of my favorite shows, but one thing where they, where they started going wrong was they started mixing Dexter up with different emotions and, uh, they, they kind of, they, they kind of made him out to be like he was full of emotion when you really shouldn't be if you're a sociopath. And so I really like the way James portrayed uh, being a sociopath, and I really hope if there's a second season, they don't make the same mistake Dexter made. Jimbo, you have a huge nostalgia boner when it comes to Dexter. So how do you feel about what Jake said? I agree. I think that if there was if if Dexter was a 20 minute episode and and only a eight episode season, it would have been a lot tighter and cleaner. But but I also agree. James comes off. And as, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm not convinced that he's a psychopath or a sociopath, but he's definitely playing the role as one, mm-hmm. and he plays it very well. And that's the thing with, with Dexter is, is my favorite anti-hero. I love certain aspects of his character. I think it would make for a great fan edit if someone could chop all that up and just have one long narrative with a more consistent storytelling of the character of Dexter. But, but yeah, I... I uh, I completely agree that James is a better version of what I would have liked to see Dexter as. 
Right. To me, he's James has his eye on the prize the whole time. Like he just wants to kill. He doesn't get too wrapped up in different like, oh, am I feeling something for her or am I feeling something for this? Uh, you know, uh, uh, that would have been that would have been a complete turn off. This me. show just becomes a or he wants us to think he is a Dexter cast every week. But every time it finds a way. But I am. Um, I see what you're saying. And here's what I think it is more of a romanticized version. Like the in terms of like maybe James isn't an antihero. Uh, but he's definitely a good sociopath as we understand that idea. Whereas like Dexter is more of an anti-hero who's kind of like a Hollywood sociopath, like for storytelling purposes. And yeah, yes, definitely. I mean, depending on how seriously you want to take a drama about a hero sociopath killing other sociopaths, you know, it just, it just depends where your suspension of disbelief begins and ends. The fact that like, that guy dates his sister on the show in real life always pushed me away. And that's where my suspension of disbelief died. I was like, gross. There are a couple in real life. That's a very poor reasoning to hate a show that has a lot of good reasons to hate it, but that's fine. It's hard to get past. That's why I can't watch Mel Gibson movies anymore. I know that he's weird. <laughs> I've never been able to watch Mel Gibson. Movies you were onto it before we found out yeah, he was like an asshole. I could still appreciate the older Mel, Mel Gibson movies. Mad Max, the original, Braveheart, whatever, dude. I mean, yeah, he's, he's always been an asshole. We didn't know. We didn't. We didn't, like know, we didn't know what kind of asshole. asshole back then. You like Christian Bale? He's a he's huge not a asshole giant too. Anti-Semitic asshole. He's just kind of like a dick to other human beings. Some people are dicks, but some people are like freaking Nazi dicks. Whatever. Mel Gibson is not a Nazi dick. He is a he is a anti-Semitic dick though. He's a bad hair dick. I judge it off of his hair and lethal weapon, especially. It was very of its time, but we can we can pull back the Nazi. We can edit that down. We can just call him a huge anti-Semitic. He's yeah, man. He was weird back then, though. But now we know. I don't know. That's art and the artist, but you get to choose where you spend your money. Not a Mel Gibson for me. Nice going with the South Park approach. Uh, in college, a friend of mine took me to a showing of Passion. Uh, and I found out later it was because his youth group had bought everyone two tickets and you were supposed to go find someone that you think would benefit from seeing passion. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah. That's why there was a pamphlet on my seat. And my oh, friend pretended like he didn't know why it was there. Dang, dude. That's great. Yeah. That was a, I grew up in the South. That was one. If, if that was a TV series, that could be a run for the worst pilot ever. <laughs> Thanks. Jimbo. Yeah. No, that movie was terrible. Oh, you're talking about the movie. I was talking about my story in my life. I was like, thanks, man. Oh, no. That would that that could make a run for at least a not hoist. Yeah, not hoist. Yeah. No, I'm in passion. Okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> now we're alienating everyone. Mm-hmm. Take that, Christians. I don't think in your, so. In your story. Well, I mean, the, the Christians are persecuted in this day and age, so I just wanted to give them the respect they deserve. All right. Um, I have a dangling thread as well. And... This is a dangling thread that we may have said something about like two weeks ago, but my dangling thread is about my love of the British season, you know, like the shortness of it versus how invested I get in like more of these American seasons or American characters. Cause like Downton Abbey is cool. I'm drawn back every week. I'm glad it's a four episode season, but like, I don't love the characters on Downton Abbey. Like I love scandal, but the problem is scandal has 23 episodes and that shit is, like, too long. So, like, what should I go for? Like, these short British shows where I don't get the people or these long American shows that, like, I'm not making it through the whole Netflix Marvel season. So, I mean, what would you guys rather have? Like, a short, compact season or a longer, more character-driven arc? 
Uh, definitely a shorter, a shorter version. Yeah, same here. I think I will really appreciate these these British seasons versus the American seasons that are just way too long and way too incentivized shitty storytelling, which really bugs me. Drew, you should actually get back into your skins uh, argument that you talked about last time because that was actually a really good one. Uh, yeah, it was in the Petardar and whatnot. But yeah, skins is in okay, there. Let's save it. Save oh, it. Oh, save, save it for the Petardar. My bad. I will. But um, I wanna I wanna represent my spontaneous thought. Uh, uh, you know, hoisters, fellow hoisters. I had a really good spontaneous thought. They sounded really smart in the moment. Sure did. Trust me. Okay, and I'm gonna restate it now. But um, here was my thought. Hypothesize. Is there an American show that you wish could be British seriesized? And here's my example. And you guys can think about your um thoughts or your choices while I give you my example. I think the American show that just went on too long, or that there are too many episodes in the season. And would really benefit from being turned into like a four season, three episode per season like show could be like Lost. Because like imagine if Lost was five seasons, four 90 minute episodes per season. You'd get so much cool stuff with so many cool storytelling ideas and tricks. But you wouldn't get that one episode where like Jack got a tattoo. Like that's the worst episode of Lost. So Jake, what would be your american length show that could be improved by being british sized lost okay um i'm gonna go with something we actually haven't talked about yet uh surprisingly and that's a uh, dexter <laughs> how long nice. are dexter episodes i, like I mean that's it's like an hour-long drama <laughs> dexter's long. uh i think every episode's close to an but, hour. Oh, season how long is the season 13 i think yeah yeah i think about 13 episodes so about yeah 12 13 hours a season that's kind of the that's the that's the that's the cheat in between because like if a British season is like four or five hours and a too long American season is like twenty two hours, I guess you can't really meet in the middle. You just have to go either way. Yeah, I, I think that would be a good one though because I mean the, Dexter did the same thing. They kind of ran the risk of of overexposure on certain things that that really uh, jeopardized the show and the storytelling. Yeah, Dexter Dexter is the epitome of. You purposely draw a series out and you milk it for every single thing it is worth just to make money because that's exactly what Dexter was. Take that, Dexter. You know yeah. you did. And that's and that's the real and that's the real distinction that that I think you're making and that I think British people or at least British entertainment, I think they value more a good story than they do just making massive amounts of money. Yeah, they're not dumb. I mean, they've seen what we do, and they've chosen not to do that. So, yeah, maybe that's a fair assumption. I was about to say, are we being too nice to British people? But, like, they know. They know what's out there. They have Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you actually pointed out, too, in, in the end of the fucking world, they make a lot of references to uh, to America. And so I wonder if that's subliminally kind of taking a shot. Like, hey, this is how we make a show. You know? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, because because James deep fries his hand because his dad bought an American deep fryer, okay, and it causes this this huge problem. They go to this shitty little diner because it's supposed to have the best American breakfast, and it ends up being this you know uppity lady that's that's kind of causing problems too, you know. She wasn't even an American. No, she wasn't. But the restaurant was supposed to be an American restaurant. the 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 menu said America's greatest breakfast or something. I know. I was being a little sarcastic. Okay, good, good. I, that's it. Didn't catch. It's okay. I'm a little tired. It wasn't thrown with a lot of enthusiasm. 
So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think I think there's quite a few shows, and then even shows that ran too long. Because I mean, British shows also stop short. Like they don't have 19 seasons of Downton Abbey. They have like four, and they're like, okay, we're done. Whereas like I feel like American shows have to hit seven seasons. Straight and up. then they kind of die right around then. But I feel like shows are either two seasons long or nine seasons long. There's not a lot in between. Mm. Yeah, I'd even I'd even say maybe even Daredevil. Because that's one I'm still trying to get through right now. But, again, it's having that problem where everything's just really drawn out. And I'm having a really hard time making it through every episode. Because it's so long and there's nothing going on. There's a lot of talking. If they were British, there'd probably be a lot more uh, cool shit going on, you know? Agreed. A lot of shows could be more British. Yes. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment before the moment we've all been waiting for. Watch or rewatch. But first, we're going to do a promo swap. Hey everyone, I'm Kate from But Why Though the Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things in pop culture that you say matter and ask the question, but why though? Every Wednesday we tackle a different pop culture topic that has invaded everybody's mind space and we talk about why it matters to culture as a whole, to fandom, and pretty much society. Our most recent episode was on Kaiju, we've talked about Wonder Woman, we've talked about Mass Effect, we've talked about everything. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, anywhere you get your podcasts, and follow us at ButWhyThoughPC on Twitter and on Facebook. Facebook.com slash ButWhyThoughPC. Thanks! So let's just do this. Yeah. Drew, are you going to continue watching The End of the Fucking World? I am. I'm on episode five. I tried really hard to watch in the past week, but life is not a lot of sleep sometimes because of, uh, you know, little Emma. But, uh, you know, we get through it. I I think what I'm going to might rewatch is the pilot because you guys have watched it three times now. And now I feel like maybe I need to watch it once or twice more. So maybe that's a more qualified statement. I'm definitely going to finish this show. People listening to this should watch it because you would enjoy it. Yes. Listeners, if you haven't watched into the fucking world are you fucking kidding me they better be better be some kind of sick joke yeah so i blew through that series i finished it i think we recorded on on a saturday or something and and i had watched it all by monday or tuesday it's a very strong uh watch or and rewatch i will I I will probably now that I've already watched it all in a few days I will probably come back to this and especially if Miss Nomalous if you're listening and you want to you know spend some time watching the end of the fucking world I'm down for that too. Yes, and I can vouch. Um, last time I, I watched it the pilot for a second time and I was hooked, but I didn't continue watching it. And then I watched it for a third time today and I'm rehooked and I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Yes, you're you're welcome into the fucking world. You know, like no matter what people listen to it. Uh, to this and decide to watch it at the very least we the people who are reviewing it are giving you several watches so however netflix tallies you know their counts and whatnot you're getting a lot of love from the pilots and petards podcast and now the moment you've all been waiting for to hoist or not to hoist that is the question listeners we're not going to waste your time this is a very strong hella not hoist and i think we can move on Agreed. Agreed. Hella not hoist. Do not hoist this pilot. It was not hoist worthy in any way, shape, or form. We are like galaxies away from any petards on this one. Anyone's keeping track. Not on this show. No petards in sight. Okay, so now where we might get a nice conversation going, we're going to pop in 
the end of the effing world into our quest for the best pilot ever. And I think this one is is making a run for for its money. I I know we definitely have a top three conversation going on. So go ahead, Drew. I can jump in with this top three conversation. The first thing I think we need to address is this show is super, in my opinion, analogous to One Punch Man. I agree. Yeah, it's it's definitely a show about existence. It's a show about pondering your existence. It's a show about honesty. And it's it's not exactly a dark take because I don't think One Punch Man is a dark take. I think it's just, what's the word I'm looking for? Fatalistic might be the right word. Yeah, or negative. Very, very ne- negative to, that's a safe adjective yeah you could say they're both yeah with jaded maybe that's what it is pessimistic and jaded so i'd say they're both pessimistic and jaded but they're also still both likable so jimbo where are you seeing this pilot land on the side of uh one punch man are we north of one punch man or south of one punch man it's really hard for me to isolate the two because because they are a bit different you have one punch man is really strong satire in the whole an- the anime genre, whereas the end of the fucking world is not satire. It's funny, and it's extremely tight. I do think because the end of the fucking world, I blew through the rest of the season and in a couple days. I think it has to be better than One Punch Man for that reason, to go back to Drew's comparison as far as whether you want to rewatch the show. I know that is that is my point I keep bringing up. I, I do very much agree that the end of the effing world gets the do I want to watch the next episode because One Punch Man could exist on its own. It could be this very cool thing that we watched this one time and I never need to watch it again. Whereas End of the Fucking World, I was like, I want to see the next episode, which is strong. But let me ask you this, Jimbo, because you brought it up. What would you rather reward? Would you reward something that does a trope or something that's been done before incredibly well? Or would you want to reward something that goes off on its own, maybe try something new, but doesn't do it as effectively? Because it sounds like you're describing One Punch Man as a venture into a new or different style, like satire of like anime, um, you know, action of that nature, or End of the Fucking World, which is a very smartly and tightly edited teen, not comedy, not dramedy, it's darker, but maybe okay, drama. Which one do you reward? I mean, I don't necessarily think that One Punch Man is doing anything groundbreaking. What else is like One Punch Man? Every, South Park. I mean, South Park's taking like your kid animation and it's turning into an adult filth. And I feel like One Punch Man did the same thing. I I don't necessarily think so. I think that like I think that One Punch Man like played it really, really, really straight. Like it it did not like the humor was dark, but it definitely didn't wink at the audience. I feel like South Park continuously winks at the audience. I would say that like commitment to the bit is something that One Punch Man has more so in terms of that action genre because like there's no break the entire thing is like uh, paced and plotted and the music cues are all for high action high octane like you know Dragon Ball Z style like insanity and then all of the dialogue self recognition like deep philosophical like nihilistic like view on life so I mean I think there's a real interesting juxtaposition there because they never break it. They never like show you that they understand it's a comedy. It's just played for action the whole time. Well, I agree. That's why I wanted to make One Punch Man the greatest pilot ever. I wish you would have brought these things up when we were comparing it with Breaking Bad last week. I think Breaking Bad is a better pilot than One Punch Man. 
well, I personally, I, I, I think the end of the fucking world and One Punch Man are better than Breaking Bad, in my personal opinion. Ooh, interesting. Breaking not to, not to take away from Breaking Bad, it, it's also a very tight pilot as well, but not quite as One Punch Man and Into the Fucking World tight. So what are you saying, man? Because I because I because I want to put Into the Fucking World above Breaking Bad. I want I will have that conversation with you, but I want you to tell me why it's better than One Punch Man. I already did, because we want to watch the rest of the series. Oh, we want to. Okay, I remember you saying that. Okay, um, you're right. I'll go with that. I got a little torn up in my own thread there, even yeah, though we sure left the did. dangling thread section. You made you the best argument that we could have made for One Punch Man when we're not. Where was that argument when we were talking about Breaking Bad, man? I feel like I, I feel like we should, re, you know, reevaluate. You're living my day to day existence with my name is Earl above X Men anime series. Feel Fine, my pain. We'll call it even. Talk to me about Breaking Bad. We did talk about the convenient storytelling. In Breaking Bad, uh-huh. I didn't consider it a low point, but there's a lot of very convenient storytelling going on. Jesse just happens to be banging the chick that lives next door. He just happens to be Walter White's ex-student. He just happens to be running away when every single police officer is inside of a house, which would never happen. And he just happens to live in the same exact house that he lived in when he was in high school so that Walter Weiss can find his address. Dude, that's a lot of convenient storytelling just all piled up onto each other. And so for that reason, I think that's every one one of these shows has has some convenient storytelling. I mean, the lottery ticket, that's your first example of if you believe it. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, but it also comes back to Alyssa walks up to James, which is also by chance. So, I mean, chance exists in these worlds. And chance is the spark of conflict, which is what we want to see. So I think that only one of those things is true chance because the rest of it can follow logic. If you want to dispute that Jesse, because Jesse could have been banging that lady at any given time. Like maybe he was just having sex with someone during the afternoon. Like that I can believe. The bigger coincidence would be Walter White's staying in the car and seeing him and them having to see each other at the same moment. But then everything that goes from there is somewhat logical. And let's just say you're one of the 20 cops that are doing this drug bust. And there's a car outside that says Captain Cook. Let's not wash this car at all. No, let's just, let's just, uh, let's all of us go inside and just have a good time. It's clever if you want it to be clever. It's annoying if you want it to be annoying. I'll say that. Well, I didn't, I didn't fixate too much on that while I was watching it. It didn't really bug me. But if, if I'm going to analyze and put a show in the potential best pilot ever, then I think it deserves to be looked at. You're right. No stone unturned. We're turning stones here. It's our job. This is a definitive list. So give me something that that's going to convince me that it should be below Breaking Bad because right now you haven't given me anything. Supporting characters. If we're giving Alyssa top billing and if we're giving Walter White top billing, who do you like better, Jesse or James, based on the pilot? James. I didn't really like Jesse. I'm going for James. I actually didn't like Jesse either. Oh, man. That one part in that one scene was so real for me. I thought, like, I don't really like that actor, and I I tried to watch Breaking Bad before. I mean, I think Jesse's fine. I don't dislike him, but but I like James a lot better. Well, my, my experience might be tinged, because now I've watched a couple episodes of End of the Fucking World, so it's been a while. Maybe I should have watched the pilot again. Because maybe like I'm kind of mixing up my feelings about James now versus during the pilot. 
Well, should 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 we leave this one on the burner and let and let Mo jump in? No, man. Um, you, you put your time and effort in, and I'm I'm pliable. I'm just asking some questions here. Just okay. Well, spinning then, that pot then, of gold. Then let's you then say let's it. Fav- you yeah, say let's it. Uh, fa- figure this out because we're you know for time purposes. Well, no, Jimbo, just say it. and It's happening. Go for it. All right, into the fucking world. The greatest pilot as of right now on our list. I can stand behind that. All right. Woo! That's a right. little victory woo for me. So you guys are you guys are welcome for the best pilot. Yep. Thank you to Jake Drew and your wonderful for taste nominating. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And thanks for Mo for going on vacation and allowing Jake Drew to step in and, and nominate such a great pilot. Yes. Thank you, Mo. Hope you're having a good time. And she didn't even tell us where she's going. She doesn't Ooh. answer her messages or anything. So hopefully she's okay. She she might be out of mm. Wi-Fi. She better be. I've written her too many messages to get nothing back. No. <laughs> I felt like those were throughway messages, but yeah, I. Oh, I sent her some DMs. I sent her some DMs. Okay. You slid up in the DMs, did you? Yeah, I did. I did. For business. Nice. Business purpose. All right then. So let's let's move on to our petardar. Yeah. And yeah, last week we did have some gold that was supposed to go unedited. Where Drew accused me of having an accent boner, and I said, "Dude, that's bullshit. I don't have an accent boner." Except that there were four very clear, uh, you know, examples of accent bonerage. Well, then you know, let's let's get into it. Here's a clip from Into the Fucking World. Seems gating. Pretty shit. Now I just, dude, I love the way Alyssa talks. It's not it's not an accent boner for British people. Unless everyone in Yorkshire, which the actor, the actress is from Yorkshire, if everyone speaks like that in Yorkshire, then I might have a Yorkshire uh, accent boner. But until I, you know, determine that, I'm, I'm going to say I don't have a British accent boner. But I love the way Alyssa talks. I love the way she throws around curse words, and she's just a lot of fun, man. That's why I like her, and that's why I like her accent. But I'm saying I, I still have to stand behind when I say I don't have. An accent boner. Now, with that being said, on my petardar, it's Kingsman. A movie with accents, Jibbo. What, what type of accents? And, dude, <laughs> Kingsman has some pretty badass, like, just dialogue. And, you know, I have to say, they do talk cool as well. And I, I think York, it's more of Yorkshire a dialect. accents or British accents? It could be. It could be. We'd have to look that up, actually. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure about that. All right. Let's stick a pin in that one. Fitz, why don't you look that up for us as our fact checker, our week, you know, our week behind fact checker. <laughs> Kingsman is a very fun movie. It it has a lot of the sim- similar things going on that Into the World does. It has, it's not necessarily a parody, but but it's taking some, you know, it's taking like the whole spy genre and it's doing something different with it. And so I really enjoyed Kingsman. The action is fun. The the artistic cuts in slow motion is really cool. And the dialogue in that movie is great. And so I'm saying Kingsman is on my petardar if you like Into the Fucking World. And British accents. And British accents. Like Jimbo. Alyssa accents. I'm going I'm to classify those as Alyssa accents. And then on, on my personal petardar, and so I'm going to put it on my petardar as well, is the graphic novel. I'm, I am uh, contemplating. I hate Amazon. So I don't want to order it from Amazon, but I think that's kind of one of those places that might want might be the only place to find it. So I'm going to hold out a little bit more, and I'm hoping to get my hands on it. Local library, dude. Uh, come on, Drew. You don't think I checked the local library? 
maybe maybe that Denver Public Library probably has it, but not the Pima County, which I'm currently in. Pulling back the curtain. People know where I live. Just kidding. You've talked about Yeah, come on, dude. There's a lot of people that live Easter there. Easter eggs. Breadcrumbs. Easter eggs, yeah. Pulling yes. back the curtain. All right, Drew. What's, what, or actually, Jake, what's on your petardar? Um, for my petardar, I think uh, people who are interested in end of the fucking world, um, because it's such a quirky and kind of fun show in its own way, I- I'm going to recommend uh, Everything Sucks on Netflix, which is also a new one. And it's uh, going back to the 90s. And it's a it's about kids in high school in the '90s, almost like a freaks and geeks type scenario, except you know it doesn't focus too much on the separate groups, the freaks and the geeks. It's just a bunch of kids in high school in the '90s that uh that do '90s type shit, and it's really cool. All right, so for my petardar this week, um, I have a British uh, television series, one that has like a very few number of episodes. It's called Skins. And I want to specifically recommend, it's called like Series 1, Seasons 1 and 2, the original cast. Uh, it's a very cool show for its day. A lot of young actors and actresses that have gone on to be really big on Game of Thrones. And it's kind of a legit show because on the BBC version, they brought kids, like young people who were doing young people drugs, into the writer's room. And they made it really authentic. Uh, MTV tried to produce it. They brought young Americans into the writer's room, and that show was shitty and did poorly. So ac- British awful. accents, invest in them. Drew, this is something we talked about last time as well, and I actually really liked it um, because I did watch the original Skins, the BBC Skins, and I was a fan, and then I gave the MTV series Skins a watch, and it was it was horrific. It was absolutely terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to say it wasn't the accents. It's the storytelling. British storytelling is superior. <laughs> and the way that they're telling him oh, with their Harry accents. Harry Potter. Agrid. <laughs> You're a yes. wizard, Harry. Right, powerful one. See, and that's a perfect example of British people doing American shit and messing it up. <laughs> Harry Potter is not American. Uh, 15 books to tell one dumbass's story? Come on, dude. That's the most American oh. thing you could possibly do. Uh, it's a seven-book journey. Okay. Is it seven and books? I thought it was more than that. Yeah, dude. I'm pretty sure they just made a play last year. A play is not a book. Um, it's about 400 pages. Looks like a book. I own it, and it's 283 pages. Well, they're very thick pages. <laughs> Front That's not how and paper back. works. You're right. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. You know, man, if you're... There's I'll, just too I feel much like there's, money to give it up. There's too much money to give it up. And I feel like there's why. a huge cross-section of people who enjoy Harry Potter, people who enjoy podcasts. And, like, in the Venn diagram, there's a big part in the middle, man. You're alienating our audience and their love of Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. No, just because you love you're it doesn't wizard. mean it doesn't suck. Come on, man. That's deep. You're right. That's fair. You want to examine the Star Wars and podcast Venn diagram? Oh, Jimbo, we know how you feel about Last Jedi, but I also know how you feel about the prequels. So if we're talking about unreliable narrators, you know, look no further, fellow hoistlers. <laughs> you have another thing on your petardar. Let's let's move on. I do. Um, I want to recommend American Psycho, which is another non-Dexter story of a potential serial killer, which also involves a potential unreliable narrator. And it's got my boy Christian Bale, who, though he be an asshole, he seems to be an equal opportunity asshole. Do not cross him on his set. I like that movie. I actually just <laughs> surprisingly saw it for the first time uh, just a couple years back, and I was a huge fan. I liked it. And notice I did not put Dexter in my petardar, okay? I was tempted. 
but I did not. I, I refrained. We'll change it to Dex Tardar next time. Dex Dex time. He got. He got. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. I love that because <laughs> it's late. <laughs> All right, so next week we should have Mo back, and we are going to investigate Married with Children. I've already watched that pilot. If you would like to discuss it a little bit before we record, go to our website, watch the pilot, and we can have a little discussion on the comment board. And then we have some plugs, as always. We have the man, Jake Drew, who made our introductory music, and he's also mixed our advertisement background music. So we have he's going to plug himself in a couple moments. And our official closing music is an instrumental track by Entheos titled Alive. And if you want to continue any of these conversations, go onto our website, make comments, and we, we can discuss this further. If there was something, we, I know there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. If you want to disagree with us on any of those things, then we can have that conversation. Get in the comments section. It's hopping, and there's pictures of people in high school. Yes. And there could be more. And if you haven't yet, you need to go check out Drew's high school photo. That sucker is worth a couple laughs. Forrest especially is going to love that one. Okay, my goal is now to top your high school photo. And Jimbo, I think you know what I'm talking about. I actually I think don't. You don't know. Red hair or something, maybe? Or? Uh, no, it was very jet black. Huh. Very jet Ooh. black, and it was all in the fit. You remember Oh, okay. Never mind, <laughs> dude. That's yeah, that's Jeffrey Dahmer, see. son. Yeah, see. God damn. Quiet, wow. quiet down there, young I, man. Okay. Quiet down. Yeah, I, I lied. I cannot top that. So see, go to the go to the internet, people. Go to the website. Respect. Do not hear how we distracted. And, and listen to the Freaks and Geeks episode. Oh man. That's good. All right, so listeners. If you can't tell by the music, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. We got some more plugs. Jake, plug plug yourself, please, sir. Uh, uh, let me plug you real quick. So uh, I, I usually, as far as social media, I use Instagram mainly, and that's at Jake Drew Music. Uh, no funny spelling. That's all spelt normally. Um, and then also, I figured I'd take the opportunity to let everyone know that I just started a uh, GoFundMe page for my new album that I'm working on. And my goal is set to $3,000, and that's to take care of recording, promotion, and physical copies of the CDs. Um, if you're interested, go in there and throw in a dollar. Uh, it all adds up. I'm already at 800 now in six days, so I'm feeling really, really good about that. And we also had some requests on our website about maybe getting a little taste of what Jake Drew has to offer, and I think he's gonna lay something down for us. Oh yeah, we're gonna do that now? Alright, so I, uh, I've prepared something on a, on a deeper note for this particular episode, um, I think just going into the sociopathic type things. Anyways, born in Medford, Oregon, before the sin poured in the pores of his skin, storing up in his chest a corner in the torment, let the horror in and let the doors begin to open in this horrid head and mourn the death of former him, cause he was born again, he felt euphoric and sort of without a heart because he wore it thin, morbid he's morphing into a Dexter Morgan, he's met the force of evil voices, they didn't just appear as that he lured him in, forget the origin, he's not the special kid you thought, it's best you cut the cord with him before the storm begins to form within, that's not a normal grin, it's more than grim, his aura's dim and Aurora isn't a quarantine. And all he ever wanted was some sort of friend But life's a game and he refused to put his quarters in to play it And now he's more different He'd rather hold a pen and take his bottle feelings And remove the precious cork from it 
He picks the pen up, begins the ritual, the silver lining, a diary full of fictional writings mixed with a literal side of his story hiding behind his issues to find he had morally binded words that showed his sensitive side. Revealed his issues, peeled the tissue part and spilled his heart to feel the spark and sealed the dark and healed the marks and started to rebuild his arc. He wrote it all, reminiscing, wishing he could just relive the moment so that he could paint a vivid picture. Pulled out a shoebox full of sentimental treasures, read the letters, looked at pictures to try to remember the pain he used to feel. Before his body was a hollow shell, to hold emotions that he bottled well, gave his father hell because he never got the chance to know his mama well. But when they talked, he would make a promise not to fail. And so he locked himself inside his room, did not come out because he lost himself inside his journal just to wash his feet. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. There are parts I remembered from last week that I, I listened for this week. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. It was cool. Drew, are we ever going to catch up on these reviews? Because for some reason, we're reading one review a week. Oh, man. This one's from Comic Lover 1234 which is one of my students. This kid is really cool, too, and he always asks me when new episodes are coming out. What's up, man? I'm not going to call you up by name on the show, but... You're a really cool student, and I enjoy our interactions. You're a nice guy, too. Okay, he said, I freaking love this show, and I will be coming back for more episodes. Best co- best podcast I heard in a long time. He wrote, P.S. Please do Batman Beyond. And the title was Don't Stop Making Episodes. Hell yeah. I, I'm very much looking forward to Batman Beyond. And Drew, we also need to update our, our next list as well. Listeners, when we reach 50 episodes, we're no longer going to accept you to request episodes based on reviews. You're going to have to do a little extra work. Oh man, I thought we were going to—I thought we were going to stop that before episode 50. Are we almost to episode 50 with our requests? I, we're definitely over 30, and I haven't updated it yet. Interesting. Okay, well, yeah, let's see how that goes. I—I I, I want to do Hoistler's Choice at some point. Well, we got to get through these reviews, man. It's fair. We made a promise. We are the podcast that you want to see in the world. Yes. Yeah, that, that thing we say. You're right. That's a good thing we say. We, we would like to thank Jake Drew for coming on. So thanks a lot, Jake Drew. Thanks for having me on here, man. And uh, you guys are welcome for having the best pilot of so far of the Pilots of Batars podcast. Sorry, listeners. We, we did miss a couple gyms, but that's okay. We, we possibly added a few new gyms in. Besides your your co-hoister Jimbo. Alright. Uh so every day I'm hoistling, Drew out. Every day we hoistling, Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling, Mo out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nice. I like that. Uh, I'm Mo right now.